There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Isaiah Smalls, and I attend Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Donovan Dooley, and I attend North Carolina A&T University in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hello, everybody. I'm coming to you from ESPN's 538 studio in bustling New York City. Uh, we're, we'll get back to the fellows, but first, let's talk a little football. Um, your favorite commissioner, Roger Goodell, will remain the commissioner of the NFL for the next five years, uh, despite oppositions from uh, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. Uh, but it was a tough week for black executives in the NFL this week. The Cleveland Browns axed Sasha Brown, their executive vice president, of football operations. Um, Sasha's a really good guy, but now he's looking for a gig. Uh, this decision came just a few days after the New York Giants fired their general manager, Jerry Reese, who's another good guy. The undefeated Jason Reed reported that this leaves just four black general managers for the NFL's 32 teams. <laughs> I guess we could still play, but we can't orchestrate. Uh, meanwhile, Colin Kaepernick is still not employed by the NFL, but he was awarded Sports Illustrated's Muhammad Ali Legacy Award. And guess what? Beyonce presented it to him. That, that probably makes up for a lot of ills. Uh, if you're an HBCU fan, you know that the Celebration Bowl is just around the corner. Number 12-ranked Grambling State will play against the 7th-ranked North Carolina A&T Aggies. This is the MEAC versus the SWAT competition at its finest. And it's the second time both teams have made their way to the bowl. And here to tell us more about the game and why it's more than just about football are Brian Holloway, who is the Sports Information Director at North Carolina A&T, and the Executive Director of the Celebration Bowl, uh, John T. Grant. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's our pleasure. So, Brian, let, let's start with you. You're, you're an alum of North Carolina, and I must tell you, uh, you know, I, I played football at Morgan, and I played when when uh, A and T broke Morgan's. Uh, I think it was our. By, by the time we played you guys, like our twenty five game winning streak, and I was a freshman, so I've never. I've gotten over it, but I tell <laughs> I tell one of the road down on the Dooley about this all the time. It's like, brother, you're lucky you're one of the road fellows, but, <laughs> but hey, man, but it's all time heals all wounds. But anyway, but but Brian, you're you're an alum of uh, A and T, so. How does it feel um, to be back at, at your alma mater in, in the capacity of, uh, of, of the SID? Uh, it feels great. It gives me an opportunity to not only uh, work and do what I love, but it also gives me an opportunity to be a fan. I mean, uh, you know, there's some times where, you know, uh, you have to sit in the press box and not cheer, but uh, it just kills me because, uh, you know, uh, whenever Tariq Cohen would break a big run or whenever we'd have a big play, it would just make it really difficult because I bleed uh, blue and gold. And so uh, to see – the football team kind of have the success that it, it has had 
Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last few years, it's been really great because when I first got there, we couldn't win a game to save our life. So mm. it's been really good to see the, the program transform itself into being one of the most notable programs in the country, not only HBCU, but throughout the uh, football uh, championship subdivision. Yeah, you guys have really been rolling. Were, were you surprised by how well the Aggies did this season, particularly because you lost a guy like Tariq Cohen, who's tearing it up in the NFL? And, you know, normally you would think that there's going to be a um, rebuilding. Uh, but were you surprised by how, how, how well A&T did this season? I really wasn't, and just only because I'm on the inside, and I knew what we had coming back. And I think uh, people from the outside looking in certainly would see a legend like Tariq Cohen go in the fourth round to the Chicago Bears and go, hey, they're going to have some fall off. But mm-hmm. I had a pretty good idea that, uh, you know, our quarterback was going to come back healthy. Uh, we had four seniors along the offensive line, and, and most of our defense was intact. So I pretty much knew – uh, what we had in place, and that we had a pretty good bunch coming back. What I didn't know uh, was the number of transfers that we had uh, coming in. When you start having success uh, in a program, people want to be a part of it. And mm. so we got a number of graduate transfers come in mm. who really just kind of enhanced what we were doing, and uh, that kind of made all the difference in the world. Who, who are some of the transfers, and where, where did they come from? Did any come from uh, PWIs uh, for, for our non-HBCU listening audience that's predominantly white institution. Um, <laughs> but but who, uh, who who are some of the transfers that, that are making an impact? Well, the, the funny thing is we have an all-MEAC tight end uh, by the name of Trey Scott. Uh, he took the place of a guy who was all-MEAC last year, Leroy Hill. He kind of took his position. He came out of Tulane. Uh, then we had another young man uh, out of Appalachian State named Jaquiel Capel, hmm. uh, another wide receiver. Uh, then we got another receiver out of Rutgers named Ahmad Bay. So what we did was we had a lot of weapons around uh, Lamar Raynard, uh, who was already a pretty good quarterback to start with. And so it, it made it very difficult for teams to try to defend us because we had so many weapons and we had so many talented guys uh, that we got from uh, other universities. And so I can't express how much Tariq Cohen meant to the program because people got an opportunity to see him and got an opportunity to see him shine at A&T. And uh, people decided that they wanted to be a part of that. And so uh, it allowed us to, to bring in some, some really good players. Mm. Uh, before I, I get to, to, to John, uh, just a couple other things, uh, Brian. Brandon Parker, who's expected to um, do pretty well in the draft, and, and Franklin McLean have, have really had great years this season. Who, who do you think's going to um, shine at the Celebration Bowl against Grambling? Well, I think Brandon's going to be a big part of it. Uh, Grambling leads the nation in uh, sacks, and so uh, – you know, they get after you pretty good, and so Brandon is going to be key for us. Um, and he's another young man. You know, he came out of high school, 260 pounds, six mm-hmm. foot six. Uh, you know, um, no one really, you know, wanted to – he wanted to go to Charlotte. They they were starting a football program, and they didn't want him. And now he's transported himself into an NFL prospect, you know. So, you know, I think that's the value of uh, historically black colleges. You know, they give people who uh, – a lot of people don't give a chance. They give a chance to – uh, and Brandon is one of those young men. Now he's six foot seven. He's three hundred and ten pounds, and you know he he's hard to get past. Uh, <laughs> and of course, Franklin McCain. You know his legacy at A and T. You know speaks for itself. What his grandfather did on February one, nineteen sixty, mm. uh, with the World War sit-in. Mm. Uh, you know, so you know he's got a long history and legacy at North Carolina A and T. But he's making a name for himself, and mm. I think that's the wonderful thing uh, about it. He, he wants to be called Mac because he doesn't want anybody to give him anything because of who his grandfather was. Uh, and so, you know, certainly we have a lot of those great stories on our football team. And I think, you know, Matt's going to make all the difference in the world. He's got three uh, interceptions returns for touchdowns this year. First team all MEAC as a freshman. So, you know, certainly he, those two guys are certainly going to make a difference for us. 
Hey, Brian, just just before I, before I get to um, John, could you just uh, you mentioned Franklin McLean? I think it's very important that you mentioned who his grandfather was. I mean, you mentioned in passing, but could you just kind of just tell us about his pedigree and, and why he's important, why his grandfather's important? Well, uh, his grandfather and three other uh, North Carolina A&T students on February 1, 1960, uh, walked downtown to the uh, Woolworth uh, lunch counter. Uh, and those four young men sat at the lunch counter. And at that time, African-Americans weren't uh, allowed to sit at the lunch counter. They had to be served in the back, uh, you know, and they take their food to go in a lot of cases. Uh, but those young men sat at the lunch counter, and they refused to move until they were served. Uh, and, of course, they uh, were arrested uh, several days, but they kept coming back. And they are credited with starting the modern-day civil rights movement uh, because of the things that they did, because every day they, they came back, they brought more and more A&T students. Uh, and that lunch counter is in the Smithsonian. It's very historic that day. It was very historic, and it's very significant in the history of North Carolina A&T, and they're called the Greensboro Four. And so certainly um, just for us to have his grandson uh, on the team allows the legacy to continue to grow at A&T, and so we're very proud of that. I've actually got a uh, tapestry with those four that I just hung in my, my studio, wow. and I got it from the World War store. That's a, great, that's a great story, and I think it's a great note to bring in John because, you know, we call it the Celebration Bowl, but that's really – I mean, it's really something to celebrate, this sort of history, this continuity. So, so, so John, why don't you uh, weigh in? The, the Celebration Bowl is relatively new. It began, I believe, in 2015. How, how, did, how did the Celebration Bowl come about? We've had a longstanding relationship at ESPN with the MEAC and SWAC conferences, uh, launched with uh, the MEAC-SWAC Challenge. So during that period of time over the last, you know, 12, 13 years, there have been conversations about, launching a bowl game. Uh, the MEAC, as a, real, as a result of their position, they were sending their, their champion to the, to the NCAA playoffs. And, of course, the SWAC had pulled their team out some time ago when they, when they began their SWAC championship game. So the chancellors and presidents of the MEAC conference and SWAC conferences uh, evaluated, agreed that it would be a great opportunity. And in um, late 2014, early 2015, the MEAC presidents and chancellors voted and approved uh, moving the champion out of the NCAA playoffs and sending that champion to the Celebration Bowl, uh, which was newly created. And so as a result, it allowed us to assure that we would have the champions from both conferences participating in this bowl game. Mm. And it's called the Celebration Bowl. What, what are we celebrating? I mean, it seems like celebrating our independence, celebrating each other? What, what, what are we celebrating? I guess the easier way to answer that question, uh, Bill, what is there not to celebrate? Hmm. Um, you, you, when you look at the legacy, the tradition of HBCUs, um, when you look at what these institutions mean for the country, when you look at the time of year that the game is held, we're right before the going into the you know holiday season, Christmas holiday season, uh, when you look at the fact that we can celebrate family and friends uh, and just really the, the joys of life, and you can, we can celebrate the fact that college football uh, itself and this bowl game opening the college football bowl season gives us a lot you know, you know, to celebrate. So the name we think is befitting for this game, when it's positioned, and what it represents. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just curious, where, so where did you uh, tell We know that we've got a, an A&T Aggie on the line. Where, where did you uh, go to undergrad, John? I'm an Aggie as well. Oh, my God. Aggie pride. Oh, my God. Aggie pride. How do we get to it? 
I got to talk to my producer. I got to talk to Aaron. How do we get two on the line? I'm sorry to say, Bill. You know that we're we're doing great things all over the place. That's what that's what A and T preps us to do. We can't help it. (laughs) All I know is that y'all cheated in in October 1968. That's what. Hey, listen. We'll we'll move on. But listen, John. um, So this game is played between two historically black colleges. Uh, universities, how how do you market this? I mean, how do you or we appeal to people who might not know about either school or maybe didn't even uh, attend an HBCU? Let's start with the first question. How do you market this? Well, you market it to an audience by putting great product on the field. And that's what we've had the benefit of having in the first two years of this bowl game. And we're fortunate that we have, I think, what we'll call the match of the matchup of the century this year because all of our games thus far have gone down to the wire, um, nearly down to the last play, and that's what you want when you bring champions together. That's the way it's supposed to be, and that's what uh, these universities, North Carolina A&T versus Alcorn, Grambling versus um, North Carolina Central, and this year we've got North Carolina A&T with Grambling. Hmm. Obviously, they, they, you know, these two universities rank well in FCS. They're all both in the top 15, and they have, you know, they're bringing uh, what I'll call star power players. If you go to a PWI, how different will the experience be when you come to this game in particular? I'll say this. Whenever we go to a PWI, you know, halftime is usually reserved uh, for the concession stand and the bathroom. <laughs> but when we go to PWIs, Appalachian State or Charlotte or any of those places, the stands don't move because they want to see the band, you know, and that is an experience for people who are not used to the type of um, uh, marching band that we put on the field. UNC Chapel Hill never lets a uh, opposing band onto their field, but they were able to work out a deal with us because they wanted, they knew their fans wanted to see that black college experience. They wanted to see the black college band and they actually allowed us to perform with them on the field, wow. and we actually taught them some of the, the moves and the dance steps and all those kind of things. That was a mistake. It went, yeah, it went completely viral. <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's a, a different um, experience for people, just the, the type of music that is played, uh, just the, you know, you go to a Clemson game, there's nothing but orange, you know. You go to an A&T game, people come in their finest. That's just traditional, like history tradition, you know, in terms of the way people even dress for the game. You know, I think those are the type of things that you get a unique experience whenever you uh, attend a black college football game. And on top of all that, we got great players and great coaches and and all those kind of things. And John can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the two years when we went, uh, there were five plays over 70 yards in the first quarter alone. You know, so that will grab people's attention real quick because we have some really good athletes um, that are going to really put on a good show. And I think think people are going to see a great game on Saturday. Mm How's the attendance been? How's the ticket sales going? That's kind of always sort of the bottom line, and well, not the bottom line, but it's a bottom line. These kind of things. Well, and you know, we've had over sixty-six thousand fans combined in the first couple of years, which mm. puts us in the top top seventy-five percent of bowl games. With a very young game, two years old, we're really pleased about that. Uh, this year, the sales are going extremely well. Um, we've sold out all of our hotel room blocks in the in the four hotels that we had fan blocks in, so that's telling us that people, without question, are coming coming to the city. But I also want to uh, reiterate something that um, 
well, what was just said about, you know, the culture. You know, I, I when I talk to people, Bill, I say that, you know, we're setting up a three-rail track system because that's what HBCs run off of. <laughs> you got sports and football, you got bands, and then you got fraternities and sorority. Mm. Those are, that's the three-rail system for HBCUs, and that's what we're going to embed around uh, as we continue to evolve the Celebration Bowl to, to bring that uh, nationally to the nation to educate them about you know, the value that these universities and institutions bring. Mm. I, I know you guys got to run. Just sort of in closing, for, 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 for Brian and John, what should we expect uh, when, when these two teams uh, meet? What, what, what should um, who fans were on the fence, what should they look forward to? Well, this year, Bill, um, marks the culmination of the it's, it's the 125th year, anniversary year, of the first game being played. Mm. So the Celebration Bowl is the last HBCU game on the 125th year mm. anniversary. Mm. And we have two storied uh, institutions with North Carolina A&T and Grambling State in HBCU football coming together to play on a national stage on ABC in a $1.5 billion facility. HBCU football has come a long way in 25 years, <laughs> and it got here because of the fans. You know, our fans, starting with those who stood around that, that, the field in the snow in that first game, to the fans who will come to Atlanta to enjoy a state-of-the-art facility, drive this sport. And so I, what I think people will, will, will see this year is an experience like none other. They're going to see, a, a, I'll call it the, almost the clash of the titans <laughs> um, between these two great uh, storied in, institutions. And more importantly, they're going to get an experience where they can build new relationships and create new friends. Uh, in how we've positioned the things that will go on around the Celebration Bowl weekend. Brian Holloway of A&T, I'll let you have the last word. Uh, I know the Aggies are ready. What what uh, what should we expect from uh, out of out of uh, A&T? Well, I think you're going to see some great storylines. I mean, you know, our head coach Rob Broadway used to be the coach at Grambling. Uh, you know, their uh, their coaches uh, Broderick Robs. His father used to be the head coach at A&T. <laughs> um, I think you're going to see two great two great quarterbacks. Uh, our guy, Lamar Raynard and, uh, Grambling, um, and Kincaid, I think you're going to see a great quarterback matchup. Uh, you know, the, the, the knockabout, the, the, the black quarterback, uh, is going to be, uh, dispelled at this football game because, uh, both these guys are really, really good. You know, I hope that the story of the history of Grambling football is told, uh, what it has meant to not only college football, but what it has meant to the NFL. You know, last year our football team visited the, uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it was just amazing to us how many players uh, are in the Hall of Fame from historically black colleges and how many of those players uh, attended Grambling uh, State University uh, under Eddie Robinson. And so you're looking at two really historic universities uh, doing battle on the football field. And really and truly, we've been the two best uh, HBCU teams over the last few years since the Celebration Bowl started. I think Grambling is 31-5 and over the last three years, and we're 30-5. and And so... I think it's been a long-awaited matchup, and I think it's going to be really, really fun to see these two teams go at it for a Black College National Championship. Well, I know, uh, I know, I'm looking for it. Uh, so, oh, oh, by the way, Morgan has four Hall of Famers. Uh, but <laughs> enough about me. <laughs> hey, Brian, Brian, hey, thank, thank, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, 
We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll discuss what it's like to be black on Broadway and on the big screen. Stay tuned. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm on the phone with my co-hosts, Isaiah Smalls and Donovan Dooley. Hello, everybody. What's up, everybody? We're going to switch gears from the Celebration Bowl to Broadway. Uh, You remember in 2016 when Hamilton, which tells the story about the founding fathers of the United States, with an almost entirely non-white cast, won a record-breaking 11 Tony Awards. Not to mention, seats were sold out for months the show's still doing well and is now touring the United States. We're fortunate enough to have one of the members of the cast on the line with us today. Isaiah Johnson plays George Washington on the show. He's also played the role of Mr. alongside Jennifer Hudson in The Color Purple. He's also made appearances in many television series like Person of Interest and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Isaiah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How you guys doing? Oh, man, it's, it's a pleasure. I, I say, you, you went to Howard, and by the way, I went to Morgan. So, it, again, it's sort of like why I'm letting you on the show. I don't know. But okay. <laughs> but you went to Howard. Uh, I'm just curious, man. What, 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 was, your, what was your experience at, at Howard, and, and how did it uh, help you get the, the various roles that you've played? Uh, my experience at Howard was amazing, man. You know, I was one of the only people <clears> – <throat> In our generation, I think that was able to be taught by a lot of the kind of pioneers of Black Broadway in the 60s, 70s, into the 80s even. These cats are the people who discovered, you know, Debbie Allen, Felicia Rashard. Mm. Like, these would have been their role models growing up. It's a generation who, unfortunately, now that I've been out of school for some time, they have all passed away. Mm. But... I was fortunate to be able to be some of the last students that they were able to serve. And I think what they instilled in me, among many things, was a very strong sense of self. So when I came out of Howard and kind of started to participate in the professional acting world, I definitely felt prepared in the sense where I knew that I could be the strongest version of me Mm. that I could possibly be. And that gave me a wonderful opportunity to kind of show my version of being a strong black male. Where, where, where did you come? Where were you born? What's your hometown? I was born in Marysville, California, uh, oh, a wow. few miles north of Sacramento. Mm. Uh, but I left as soon as I was born. My mother was in the military, so I didn't spend much time there. I mm. kind of spent the first four years of my life in Korea, and then I came back to the States and lived all around the South, mm. mainly Louisiana. And then when I was 11, we moved to Anchorage, Alaska, where wow. I finished out wow. high school. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, that's how do you, what I was before I came What back. was that like? What was that like? Girl? Yeah, how did that have an effect on you? Oh, man, it was a complete culture shock. I was depressed for the first two years just because of the weather. I couldn't go outside, yeah. or I refused yeah. to go outside, rather. And uh, not only that, but it was definitely um, kind of a white-dominant society, which I wasn't used to prior to that. But because, you know, we were kind of deeply entrenched into the military culture, which is it was the only culture that you could go to where neighborhoods weren't segregated. Mm. Like if you lived on base, 
everybody lived on base. You lived next to white people. You lived next to people from all different races and ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. So I always kind of grew up in a diverse neighborhood. But being that we lived primarily in the South after coming back from Korea, my immediate neighborhood was pretty much black. Mm. And then when I moved to Alaska, that changed. Wow. How long did you stay in Alaska? How do you think those experiences have helped you with your um, career? Oh, completely. I mean, I think just being able to move around and being exposed to many different cultures um, and many different stories has allowed me to kind of reinvent myself in order to adapt to whatever community that I was in, in order to survive, you know what I'm saying, Um, in order to fit in. Um, And I think those moments when I was able to kind of adapt and reinvent myself kind of lended itself to... I don't know, maybe using my imagination more so than the average cat. And I think uh, it's definitely allowed me to have a little bit more empathy with regards to telling stories of different people and trying to understand different mentalities and mindsets. And ultimately, that's culminated after all my studies in craft and experience in the craft has culminated into like a deep understanding of just human nature and human behavior. Mm. that I can stand by. Mm. What's it what's it what's it been like acting in one of the hottest shows uh in, in decades? And what made you go for the role of George Washington? But but first, what's it been like acting in Hamilton? Oh, it's been beautiful, man. I, I definitely haven't felt more patriotic. this show has definitely made me feel like a patriot i I haven't felt more american than when i'm on stage doing hamilton as george washington (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know i think uh i had the fortunate pleasure of joining up with the company when they were first creating this piece of work back in 2014 i was a part of the company of actors who first put it on its feet and that's basically when you take it from it just being a reading to having costumes and choreography and movement um i was a part of that company and then i came back to it when an opportunity became available later on down the road and that's how i joined back up now so statistics from 2016 show that the majority of actors and producers and directors on broadway are caucasian do you think that in terms of color, that that's changing since Hamilton's success? Um, hmm. <laughs> well, I think the majority is still in place. I mm-hmm. think the changes have been slowly being made kind of all throughout history. There have been trailblazers who have kind of forced some of those changes to allow Hamilton to even happen. I think that the quality of the work has definitely opened doors and opened minds for people to see people of color in various roles that are non-traditional. I think that that's something that is going to be kind of the biggest change on Broadway. I think that we'll see in the future. I think people will start to open their minds that, hey, if a tall, well-melanated brother can play a very pale George Washington (laughs) believably and still be able to tell his personal story, then I think that there's no reason why we can't hire him to be to play the lead in Carousel, which you're about to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, my good friend Joshua Henry, who's also a part of our company, he's getting ready to play Carousel on Broadway, and he'll be the first black lead in that show wow. in history. Wow. At wow. least the, for, that, for that particular role. For mm. that particular role, uh, we did wow. have Audra McDonald, an African American woman, play the typically white female lead in that show years ago, and now Josh will be the first to play mm. uh, the white male lead. Mm. 
Right, wow, interesting. I kind of want. I kind of want to get your thoughts on this though. TV tends to feature more roles for actors of color than Broadway. Do you find that you get different roles on TV and film than on Broadway? Uh, I don't know. Well, I think there's more opportunities for actors of color to work on television just because there's more content and more content just provides more roles and more opportunities. But that being said, the content, you know, historically speaking, the content has also been very specific, right? I think, you know, we've had trailblazers along the way, like I said before, who have opened the doors for that to be more diverse. I think now we're definitely seeing a height of that diversity, at least in my generation. Mm-hmm. And I think on Broadway, what happens is, what typically happens is that uh, you usually see actors of color only in roles in stories that are about actors, of, uh, about people of color. You know what I'm saying? So if there's a black musical, right. you'll see black folks in it. If there's a black play, you'll see black folks in it. But in white stories, you typically don't see that many actors of color in. And I don't think that that's necessarily... Always an issue. I'm somebody who believes that every artist has the right to tell the story that they want to see told. I think a bigger issue is that we don't have enough producers of color Mm. who are able to produce diverse stories. Mm. Power and control. Because obviously, I'm a producer and I'm putting my money out there to get a piece of work. I want the work to reflect me. Mm. And that's what's been happening. Mm. I think the work has just mm. been a reflection of those who have the power and the means to get the work published. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about, um, do you think that there's a more need for more uh, producers of color? Or do you think that there's more um, a need for roles for people of color? Well, let me say this. <laughs> Having more producers of color will allow more roles for uh, actors of color to be produced. You know, there's a lot of writers out there who are willing to write for diverse voices, but we need those producers to take a chance on those pieces of work. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That being said, we also need producers who are also willing to take a chance on new faces and to not say that, okay, if I'm putting my money out here in order for me to not lose money, I need to hire Hollywood, black Hollywood, white Hollywood. I need to hire famous people to do these roles. But if we have producers who are producing stories that they believe in, who kind of speak to the human condition, then they should feel confident in the story, in the work, and be able to cast actors who are just capable of playing those, playing those roles to the best of their ability. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's your, what's your... I have a question to kind of piggyback off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, in today's society, we have a lot of debate, especially in the black community, about certain roles that actresses and actors play that kind of share like a bad light on black people as a whole. Like they kind of, you know, they kind of perpetuate stereotypes. What is your mm-hmm. thought about black actresses and actors taking on those type of roles? I will never advise an actor to not take a role if it's offered to them. That being said... Right. I will also charge them to bring as much of their humanity to the role as they possibly can within the confines of the director and the producer's vision. Now, what happens is you have a white producer, a white director, a white writer. Their vision for that role of color is going to be specific to their experience. And the actor only has so much power in bringing a new perspective to that because, obviously, they wrote it from their perspective. 
they're producing it from their perspective. They're directing it from their perspective. So you have to go into it with that understanding. I think in all artistic endeavors, you it's kind of the challenge of the actor to kind of build a bridge between what their imagination lends to the story and what the creative intent for the writers and directors and producers are. And that's a challenge that is in existence, whether you know, you're dealing with a racial thing or a thing based on sexual orientation or a subject matter based on you know, gender equality, like that, that challenge exists no matter what. Uh, so just in terms of, you know, your uh, personal opinion, what do you think, you know, there is a need for in terms of storytelling? Like, do you think that there should be more uh, storytelling about people of color, more uh, storytelling about people with uh, diverse sexual orientations or what? Well, it has to be all of it. I mean, right now, I'm a huge fan of the TV show This Is Us. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. it's probably the best television programming I've seen in my lifetime is definitely the type of programming that I feel like is a reflective of the world that I live in. Mm -hmm. And I think we need more stories like that told as honestly and as truthfully as that. Mm. Yeah, I agree that that, that's a great, it's a great production. Um, You know, sometimes I guess, you know, it's great when you look at it and you say, wow, I wish I would have written that. (laughs) Or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's really, it's really good. Yeah. Hey, hey, I know that, Isaiah, yeah. uh, you've got to run, but I'm just curious. I mean, I think it's fascinating. I mean, for somebody, you know, um, at the background, you've had the military, Anchorage, uh, Howard. I, I, I just wanted to ask you, first of all, how did you get, did you get to Howard from Anchorage? And I guess if you did, you'd probably think, thank God for black people. But how did you get? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how... <laughs> well, my, my sister went to Hampton University. Oh, and so okay. I graduated high school a little early. And when I finished up high school, I went down to live with my sister so that I could take a tour of, well, not even take a tour of the campus. I just went mm-hmm. to visit my sister and I fell in love with that area. I fell in love with D.C., the people, the history, and I knew that that's where I wanted to be. And so Howard, honestly, the only school that I applied to, not knowing if I would get in, I knew I needed to be in Washington, D.C. So I was going to do whatever I needed to do to get there, and I would provide the stability to be able to be in that city. Mm. Okay, so uh, in terms of the household, uh, what does it mean to be the real H.U.? Because this is something that, you know, it's heavily debated um, this is amongst us Roden fellows. And I'm kind of confused because none of the schools are better than Morehouse. So uh, I want to know what's the allure of uh, being the real HU? <laughs> I think it's healthy competition. I, I honestly think that that whole thing is based in, you know, it's based in a lot of pride, a beautiful pride that we have in going to an HBCU and going to, you know, a couple of the oldest, most notable HBCUs. In my opinion, the the real HU is just the one that was founded first, which is Howard. (laughs) Uh, And uh, and that's that, huh? (laughs) And Howard is the Mecca. And Howard is based in Howard's based in Chocolate City. Mm. Nobody knew nothing about Hampton. A pre-gentrified Chocolate <laughs> City. <laughs> Hampton University made Hampton black. Uh, <laughs> Howard University was black before Howard started. And Baltimore and, and Morgan and Morgan is just cool. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I want to be honest, okay, Mr. Rodin, Mr. Rodin, Mr. Rodin, Mr. Rodin. For as much as you talk about Morgan, I really did not know about Morgan until I read your book, which was probably 
my summer going into my junior year. That was the first time I yeah. heard of Morgan. Hey, brother, honest. all things take time. Knowledge knowledge comes <laughs> when it's time, when you're open for it. All things take time. Hey, hey Isaiah, all for me. See this? Can I use that? Oh, yeah. Hey, absolutely. I stole it. Okay. Wait, the last the last thing I'll say about the AQ argument is that Howard shuts it down just because we have more notables that come from our school. Mm. Well, you do. More internationally yeah. known notables came out of Howard than any other university. I think that's why Howard's a real HU. Uh, what, what do you have, what do you have coming up, Isaiah? And again, our, our guest has been uh, Isaiah Johnson, um, who's uh, yeah, was the stars of, of, of Hamilton. And what, what do you have coming up? Well, I've just actually moved to Los Angeles from New York, and so I'm kind of still getting my feet wet in this community. I'll be doing the Hamilton tour until the beginning of April for now. Mm. So for me, I'm really just trying to get acclimated to this Los Angeles community and meet some of the artists who have been here for a long time and learn from them so they can show me the ropes. Talk about keeping your feet to the fire, man. I hope you're away from those those brush fires. You moved to L.A. just in time for the, for the fires. I know. Fortunately, I know. And thank God I can still afford to live in the city proper. But, man, I, my heart goes out to all those who have lost homes and livestock who live out in the valley, man, my heart goes out to yeah. you and, and please, please reach out to any resources that may be available for mm-hmm. assistance. Hey, hey, just, one last thing, this is a little sensitive. You know, we're in this, this yeah. era of, of harassment with almost every single yeah. day, somebody else is mm-hmm. coming. We've had spectacular resignations. Uh, Kevin Spacey, somebody I think you may have yeah. worked with. Um, a, were you surprised about that? And then just generally about the whole, it almost is like a scourge of, of, uh, harassment being uncovered. But first about space and then just general about the, the, your industry in general. Yeah. I think what was most surprising is the confident step that people, that the, the victims have taken to speak out. I think when you start getting that, it's like, okay, we all knew it was happening. We all knew that there was silence behind it, but the silence has been broken. So then just like everybody can take an exhale and not hold their breath. And now the confidence that other people are having to speak out on stuff that they've been living with for years. People kind of complain and be like, oh, that happened four years ago. You know, if it's undealt with, I don't think it ever goes away. You know, they say the truth is the light and the mm-hmm. truth is not out. You're living in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so I think the darkness hurts. And you cannot justify somebody's pain. You can't say somebody's pain is any less real just because it happened four years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Because the truth of the matter is every time you turn on the TV or every time you read the news, you see that person that hurt you is gone about their lives, you know, without any kind of recourse or due process. And I think now we're living in a time when the conversation about sexuality, the conversation about our relationship to the entertainment industry, which is very unhealthy, our relationship to each other as men and women, as men and men. I think uh, the hypocrisy that we kind of exercise in this country with regards to sexual orientation and sexual relations, period, sexuality, period. I think this conversation is now just now being started, and it has to deepen. It has to deepen beyond just who did what to whom. Mm. It has to go deep into the mentality of both parties, the mentality of the victim and the oppressor. Mm. You know, we have to start talking about all this in order for us to kind of start to redefine the culture that is America. What is that? Mm. Mm. What is it going to be now? What has it been? Mm. 
Wow, that's great. Well, Isaiah, I know you've got to you've got to run, but I, I, I thank you so much for being so generous uh, with your time, and thank you so much just for your for your insights and your great work, your great work on on Hamilton, and looking forward to everything that's coming up. But um, uh, thank thanks you so much so for being much with. for having me. Thank you so much. Oh no, it's our our, our privilege. Uh, that that's all the time we have for the show today. And uh, before we close out, I'll leave you with some thoughts to consider. As many of you already know, the Celebration Bowl between North Carolina A&T and Grambling State takes place this Saturday, December 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. But let's be honest, we already know what the outcome's going to be. Aggie Nation is going to rule the day, and I'm going to tell you why. North Carolina A&T has 12 first-team All-MEAC performers and the MEAC Offensive Player of the Year in quarterback Lamar Raynard. We have a stout defense and a stout offense along with crucial special teams play that's going to provide us the win on Saturday. Um, also, we're undefeated, so our track record speaks for itself. I don't think that's something Gramley can say that they have. So, when the Aggies mop the floor with Gramley on Saturday, I just want you guys to know who you heard it from first, Donovan Dooley. Aggie pride. I'm Ania Shabazz from Grambling State University, and I'm here to tell you... Grambling State University will defeat North Carolina A&T University at this year's Celebration Bowl. GSU has won a total of 15 HBCU National Championships, with the most HBCU National Championships of any school since 1920. With an 11-1 record, their 47 sacks working first in the SCS, having a head coach with the SWAC Coach of the Year title for four straight seasons, and most importantly, being the current HBCU National Champions of 2016, they are sure to bring home the trophy. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Tony Chow and Martin Onabu are in the control room. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day. What are those? And Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.